Welcome to this week's episode of Husky Talk. Today we are your host, Miss E. Montgomery's Wing Class. Today we will be interviewing Jeff King. Please welcome to the show, Jeff King. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. What's your name? Emily. Hi, Emily. So how, how are old things? Are you? I'm twelve. All right. Perfect. How are things up in Alaska today? <clears throat> what What was that? How are things up in Alaska today? Well, it's a beautiful morning here. It's about 25 degrees, brilliant blue sunshine, and um, blue skies and sunshine, and uh, off to a great day. What is it where you are? About 60s. It's about 60s. It's in the 60s. A little windy. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, well. Who won the first Iditarod? Dick Wilmarth. Good job. Who has won the most Iditarods? Rick Swenson. Good job. Good job. Who funded the Iditarod? Who started it is Joe Reddington. Yes. And Dorothy Page. Yes. How many dogs can a musher start with this year? Fourteen. Good job. What is the name of the award given to the musher that finishes last? The Red Lantern. Good job. You got all of them right. How'd I do? You got all of them right. Good job. Cool. I'd have been embarrassed if I flunked uh, I did her on trivia. Yeah. Now we're going to do our questions. All right, teacher, what's next? Our teacher read us a section of your book, Cold Hands, Warm Hearts, to us in class. Can you tell us the story about your dog, Hickory? About Hickory? <clears throat> well, I you read the story, so I won't necessarily re-tell you that story, but I can tell you that Hickory... I got, as a puppy from a friend of mine, I was just starting my dog mushing uh, adventures and I only had a couple of dogs already and some friends of mine had a litter of puppies. Um, their name was Marilyn and Jack, uh, were my friends and their uh, puppies, um, I wanted one really bad, and I worked at a job where my employer was going to throw out some outdated ground beef, and I was able to take it home. They were going to let me feed it to my dogs, but instead I traded 100 pounds of spoiled meat for a little puppy um, from my friends Jack and Marilyn, and he was... Uh, a little brown puppy, and I remember his color reminded me of the wood that I was using to make my first dog sled, which was hickory, and he was the color of a hickory board, and uh, so that's where he got his name. Um, I only had a, two or three dogs when I got hickory, and he would have been my, like my fourth dog, and as he grew up... Um, he was the only puppy of his age with me, so he was kind of a, a single kid, 
and he had no other puppies to play with, so I had him in my cabin all the time. And when I went mushing, he was too small to <clears throat> be in harness with the others, so he would run along and uh, alongside this ladder behind me. And if he started to get tired, I could tell because he would start to bark or kind of whine. And uh, it was his way of telling me that he couldn't keep up. And I would stop and uh, pet him or let him rest. And as the weeks went on and he figured out that we were running and uh, that the sled was coming along, it got so he would... Uh, when he would bark and whine, when I stopped, he would jump in my sled, and I would give him a ride for a while, and uh, he figured out that when he was tired, he could ride, and when he caught his breath again, he would jump out and run some more, and amazingly, if you guys can figure this out, one of the most amazing things about Hickory when he was a puppy riding in my sled he would run up and down the basket while the sled was like a like a sailor on a ship he could just move around up and down the sled and he would look out in front uh, at the team running and you could tell he wanted to be up there with him because he kind of whined and, and looked uh, at the dogs running in front of him and it got so he would put his front paws out on the brush bow in front of the sled, and finally he got to actually put his front legs on the rope that was attaching the sled to the dog with his rear feet in the sled and his front feet balancing like a tightrope walker on the rope. Um, it was really quite amazing, and uh, I'll never, ever forget it, and wished I took pictures of it. I've never seen or had an opportunity for a dog to, to do such a thing, but uh, Hickory was a really good boy, um, and he was well-known for being a great leader. I suspect, in addition to being a great sled dog genetic that his time alone with me um, made our relationship uh, extra special. And uh, my, uh, my ex-wife, I can remember her telling me that when she went mushing, Hickory would act like he didn't know anything about mushing. And for me, he would just perform perfectly. So he, he tended to pick, he definitely knew who the, teacher was. I'll bet you guys get a little <clears throat> laugh and tease a substitute teacher sometimes uh, who, and when you know that they don't know everything about you or your class. Well, Hickory was the same way, but he knew when I was the musher and uh, just a really special dog. Yeah. We were very sad to hear how he died. Yeah, it was very sad. Um, to, she read in the book. Um, we had been mushing that day. Um, my family was on the East Coast visiting grandparents, but um, um, so I had come home from a long day of training to prepare for the Yukon Quest, and uh, he was just. Um, 
as a house dog as well as a sled dog. And uh, so I put him in inside where he could be warm, warmer. He appreciated it. <clears throat> I don't know. I He's there very comfortable outside, but um, he was very comfortable inside as well. And sure enough, I had put him inside that night. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, we never, in the book, I know I would have never said, we didn't know how the fire that ended up killing him started, but um, if I had to guess, um, I would have to think it involved Hickory chasing the house cat. Uh, we did have a, ca a cat in the house as well, and... Uh, I mean, those are the only two living things in the house, and even though Hickory and the cat usually got along, um, maybe something occurred that um, started the fire. But, yeah, sad but uh, true, and uh, he'll be missed. He, he, the name Hickory is the main road that I live on now. When I built my house where I'm living, I built had to build a brand new road in from the highway. So if you ever come visit me, you'll know you're there when you get to the road sign that says Hickory Road. Wow, that's cool. The year of your house fire, we went, you went on the race, the Yukon Quest, and you won. Can you tell us about your experience when going through the water with your dogs? Yeah, boy. <clears throat> that was, uh, a very scary time. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, checkpoint at Dawson City is the official halfway point for the Yukon Quest. And um, when I departed uh, Dawson City that night with my mandatory rest over, I left about midnight. And my team dropped down onto the Yukon River. It was a really cold night that was... 30 or 40 below zero in Dawson City, but we were rested and uh, and ready to go again, and um, off my team went, and uh, they were going good, but I do remember the fog, which on a clear night, you know, fog more often comes when the weather is cloudy, but this fog comes from places where open water, um, moving water of the Yukon River meets cold air and it creates a fog. So I knew there were spots in the big river that had open water. <clears throat> and um, But I also knew that the uh, race organizers and the trail breakers would always pick a safe spot um, for the trail and the uh, river is almost a mile wide <clears throat> so we just meandered up the river on our way to the Alaska border and the first checkpoint in the state of Alaska on the race of Eagle and um, so uh, with the dogs taken off and doing good I got kind of sleepy and kind of was relaxing, probably
probably half asleep standing on my sled. And uh, a couple hours had gone by, and I rem I just remember being woke up and made come to attention because my dog reacted different. It's like, uh, you know, if you're in a car, when you get a flat tire, all of a sudden things don't feel right, and it takes a minute to figure out just what's happening. And I turned my light on and saw a big open lead of water in front of me and on both sides of me. And what had happened was one of those open holes in the Yukon <clears throat> had flooded where more water was in the river flowing than could get underneath the ice. And so when there's a hole, when this uh, situation occurs, the water gets forced up on top of the ice and floods the ice. But when it floods, all of a sudden you can't tell by looking whether the water you're seeing is very shallow on top of ice or if it gets over to the area where it drops off and has no ice beneath it and it's just the river. <clears throat> so um, I knew that it was a uh, very dangerous and scary situation, but turning around just didn't seem like an option. So I encouraged my team forward because up ahead I could see a trail marker and I could see a dry, <clears throat> snowy part of trail about 100 feet in front of me. And so I pointed, gave the dogs commands to go straight towards that marker. But as it turned out, the trail, the actual trail, if it wasn't flooded, didn't go in a straight line. And my straight line took us right into one of the areas that was an open lead before it flooded and my team all of a sudden instead of splashing through shallow water was swimming <laughs> and uh, I was terrified but my dogs were um, you know they were too and uh, my instinct was the best thing I could do was to get through this it didn't seem very wide it didn't seem like a really wide section I could see the good trail ahead and uh, so uh, when my sled went in and started to sink I instinctively climbed climbed up on top of it um, trying to stay out of the water it reminded me of Leonardo uh, on top of um, the Titanic you guys have seen the Titanic movie and it's sinking and he climbs to the very top <clears throat> waiting for it to go down and at the last minute you got to jump off and that's what I did and I jumped off forward trying to get to that dry piece of trail. All of my dogs were swimming. Um, my leader had made it to the edge and was kind of clinging there in a classic uh, wet cat posture, trying to pull himself up onto the safe trail. When I got there, I managed to get up um, on top of the trail and start to pull the dogs out one by one and then two by two. Pretty soon I had all the dogs out on the trail and I thought, 
the worst of my problems were over. But my sled was still sunk, and the current of the water was holding it down, and it was more than I could do to lift it out by myself. So I screamed at my dogs to pull, even though they were first thinking about drying off themselves. They were all wet. They had been shaking and rolling in the snow. But I had time every second counted. I needed to get my sled out because inside the sled were the things I needed to build a fire or to change clothes because um, being wet to the core um, in the middle of nowhere uh, in such cold temperatures, I would have froze to death. So I told the dogs to pull and I pulled on the sled myself and with just tremendous effort, the combined effort, the dogs and I pulled my sled up onto the trail. And uh, they really took off. It's like they had been really scared and now they realized we're back on the trail doing what we do best. And I had a hard time getting them to stop. I wanted to go in, open my sled up and see if the bag I had with dry mittens and dry clothes were still there. Um, but they just took off like a rocket and I held on. I knew that I didn't try to stop too, stop too hard because I knew that one of the things I needed more than anything was firewood. I needed to get somewhere where I could build a fire and in the middle of the Yukon River when it was frozen, there's no wood and the snow was deep both directions so I couldn't go to the bank of the river. I thought my best bet was to just keep going on the trail and hopefully find <clears throat> that the trail went near the shore and maybe I would find some driftwood all piled up. But before that happened, um, in about an hour of mushing and I, I was really, really cold by then and I I wondered how that night would end, <clears throat> but I saw a little tiny yellow light up ahead, um, and I recognized it as <clears throat> only, the only thing it could be was a light made by man-made somehow. Um, it was either a, likely the light of a cat, of someone with a kerosene light in a cabin, and I realized that there was a probably a trapper who had come to a cabin and was there. And if he was there with a the light on, it meant it was warm inside. And the dogs knew that, and I knew that. And they took off like they were in the fur rendezvous sprint race when they saw that light. And uh, I ended up getting to that cabin, and sure enough, there was a a man in there uh, asleep, but he had left his light on um, because he knew the Yukon Quest mushers might be coming by and he wanted us to feel free to stop there. And I'm really glad he did. I, <clears throat> I don't see that man often, but I do know his name and I know that he, last time I knew he was still living in the Yukon territory and uh, I managed to get there and spend many hours drying out my clothes and um, letting the dogs rest and dry off before I went on. And um, as it turned out, I 
made it all the way to the finish line that year, and it was the first race I won. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. In 2014, you had a significant lead heading to safety. Can you talk to us about what happened next? Could you uh, repeat that slower and louder? In 2014, you had a significant yeah. lead heading to safety. Can you talk to us about what happened next? Yeah, I can. Um, that, um, in 2014, my team was so performing so uh, incredibly I um, I just every day of that race I kept thinking oh my gosh my team <clears throat> I'm riding that uh, proverbial magic carpet and um, but um, <clears throat> and so I, I gained quite a lead for the Iditarod and ended up leaving White Mountain in first place um, I had been one of the reasons I decided I had had such a good race, besides my dogs were doing very well, was I had put some very fat runner skis on the front of my sled because the snow was deep. And I had realized the last year or two that by using an uncharacteristically wide runner plastic um, really made it easier for my dogs and myself. And I had decided how that this had really been an instrumental um, instrumental advantage and innovation that I had that had put me in position to win. <clears throat> but it also turned out to be one of the reasons I could pinpoint not winning because the last um, 30 miles as I approached safety, there was no deep snow. And, in fact, the wind had been blowing so hard that there was no snow at all. And the only thing on the ground was either ice or frozen dirt. <clears throat> and the, the wide runners that um, had been such a help for the other conditions um, were now a hindrance. And my experience with these wide runners was still um, new enough. Combined with my exhaustion, I didn't realize that when we hit this high wind and icy terrain, I, I didn't put together why I couldn't control my sled. It kept blowing out from underneath me and blowing sideways, and I couldn't control it. And... Um, Part of it, uh, a large part of it, was um, the fact that I had these wise skis on. And as clear as it is to me now that that caused the, the final exhaustion for myself, which was really um, the bigger problem was not the dogs but me. I, I was exhausted as my sled would keep blowing the winds were very strong. They were blowing sideways at us. And when you're on ice, with the wind blowing at 50 or 60 miles an hour directly to the side of you, what I needed was ice skate runners instead of big, wide, flat toboggan runners because I couldn't cut into the ice 
and keep from blowing sideways. There was about 20 miles of that blowing that um, I was managing, but very, very um, poorly. And uh, the place where I ultimately um, scratched, um, I didn't re I didn't think, oh, I'm done. I thought, oh, I need to rest. I the dogs are tired. They're tired of me telling, you know, that of me pulling them from behind. So my sled would blow so hard to the left, and I was so unable to keep it going behind the dogs that it pulled the dogs from behind and pulled them a different way than I was telling them to go. So they were frustrated, and I was frustrated, and I wanted them to rest. And I also thought that this wind should die down. It was an uncharacteristically strong wind. Um that's when the film crew got there. Of course, there's some Iditarod uh, film people that are incredibly um, talented, and they also need to be able to deal with the weather, like we uh, extreme weather. And when the film crew got there, they came to talk to me, and they wanted to know if I was all right, and I was, but they were very alarmed, um, I could tell that they were worried about themselves. They were worried about me, and I tried really hard not to let their uh, their fear uh, for me and themselves impact. You know that I shouldn't panic. We just need to rest. We can do this. Um, and that's when they took those very um, dramatic videos of me I suspect you've seen the time I was waiting for the wind to die down my team was in a big pile which I put them in they didn't do that I knew that if I was going to try and sit this wind out that I should get the dogs close together so that they can cuddle and protect each other from the wind as best as possible just like a a pile of puppies will all climb onto each other because it's comfortable to rest and the dogs like that. And I did that. And eventually I just encouraged the film crew to, to go away, to keep going. They could get to safety. I would be all right. And I felt very, um, I felt like they were, watching me at a time when, and, and it was just so um, close to being scary. I was trying so hard not to let um, the strong wind and the fact that I couldn't really stand up. Every time I stood up, the ice, I would slide on the ice and I needed to rest and then get going again. <clears throat> anyway, the film crew took off and they double-checked. They said, are you sure you're okay? And I said, yes, I, I'm fine. And yes, I have the spot tracker, the GPS thing, that if I feel like I need help, I know I can just push a button and the Iditarod officials will know that <clears throat> I'm in a, a situation where I've asked for help and that I will uh, scratch from the race. And I had no 
even remote intention of doing that. And I never did. Um, but um, what ended up happening was the, the film crew left. So whatever last photos you saw, and if you've watched those videos, you see me walking in the in the and the sky is getting darker. The sun was going down, and um, the film crew left while I was walking. And I needed to walk because I was getting cold. Laying there with my dogs without moving, I was starting to get chilled. And I need, wanted to give the dogs a little more rest. I was hoping the wind would stop. And if it didn't, I needed to get going again. And But I needed to warm up. So I started walking and I also wanted to walk down the trail to find out if the ice uh, that I have been battling was, if there was more of that up ahead. And so I wanted to get a look at it. And so I went walking and I didn't go that far, maybe uh, a quarter mile, 400 yards or so, but long past with those high winds and snow blowing, I, I was way past ever being able to see the dogs. Heck, you couldn't see about 20 feet uh, ahead because of the blowing snow. But all of a sudden, there was a snowmobile right next to me. Because of the wind, I'd never heard the, um, the noise of the motor. And I turned around, and there's a man on a snowmobile in a helmet all bundled up. And he, too, was quite worried. He didn't know who I was. He wondered why anyone would be walking out here. And <clears throat> he had his a granddaughter about the age of you guys um, in her early teens. This guy was taking his granddaughter on snowmobile on the Iditarod Trail. And uh, quite an adventure, which had apparently gone very well up until this windstorm. So he was worried about himself and his granddaughter. And he looked at me and he said, who are you? And I said, I'm Jeff King. And he goes, where's your dogs? And I said, they're back, just back there a little ways. You must have passed them. He goes, I didn't see them. I don't think they're there. And I go, yeah, they're there. Um, he goes, well, how far is it to a checkpoint? We need shelter. And this is my granddaughter. She's... So I think she was a little older than 12, uh, but uh, 15 or 16, I believe. And um, I was shocked to hear that anyone would have, um, you know, a 15 and 16-year-old can, both boys and girls can turn into accomplished snowmobilers, but there are very few of them. Uh, and, and it's clear he was worried about her. He was worried about himself. He was worried about me and totally spontaneous. This man said, well, where is the next checkpoint? I said, well, safety's got to be up here within a couple miles. <clears throat> and he said, and he said, get on, I'll get you there and you can help us get there. And <clears throat> it was, it was incredibly spontaneous, a decision I regret <laughs> almost every day. Um, but, I got on his snowmobile right there when he said, get on, I, let's go to safety. And the minute I touched his snow machine, I had broken the rules. Um, but the that really wasn't the total end of the story because I'm part of me is glad I went with him because 
we took off. I got on the snow machine behind this guy. His granddaughter's behind him on another snowmobile. The wind is still howling. We're on glare ice. <laughs> and um, within a quarter mile of riding with him, he kept turning around looking at make sure his granddaughter was uh, behind him. And we both watched her snowmobile with her light body weight on it. The wind blew it sideways on a piece of ice. When it was going forward, it was blown sideways. It hit some rocks and completely rolled over, and the girl fell off. Um, <clears throat> she didn't get, the machine didn't land on her, but her, now her snow machine's up on its side from being blown over. And I don't think they could have turned it back upright on their own. Uh, I don't know. But it was all he and I could do, mainly because there was still so much ice around. It was hard to push your legs um, uh, to lift anything when your feet wanted to slide out from underneath you. But um, anyway, we ended up getting her snowmobile back up. And uh, we went on to safety, and I realized that I was out of the race. And sometime during all this, Allie Zirkel had passed me. I never saw her. I don't know exactly what part of this episode um, when she went by, but um, there's not a tree or a bush or anything to hide um, a dog team or a snowmobile going by. So my guess is she passed me within, I don't know, 20 yards uh, and without the wide runners and without the exhausted dog team from fighting the ice, she was able to navigate a piece of trail that I was having trouble with, and that's how she got ahead of me. Wow, that's crazy. So do you mind if we ask you our lightning round questions? There are only five of them. All right. We'll give it a try, and then I think I better get to work. Okay. Go ahead. So you have to answer these as fast as you can. You can explain to... explain again what a lightning round question so is. So we have five for for me. We have five questions and we're going and we're gonna ask them and you have to answer them as fast as you can. So okay. quick answers. You can question I did not You can quest or I did a rod. I did a rod. <laughs> Favorite mushers. Um, Pete Kaiser. California or Alaska? What? California or Alaska? Alaska, definitely. <laughs> Favorite place to train your dogs? Denali Park, Alaska. Thank you for taking your time out of your day to share these awesome stories with us. You're welcome. You guys send me a photo and, uh... Tag me on your Facebook page. We will. Have a tell great... The world what, tell the world what we talked about. I want to see it. Okay. Have a great All rest right, of your bye -bye. day. <laughs> bye. Special thanks to our guest, Jeff King, for being on our show this week. Subscribe to us on iTunes and tune in next week. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, the Iditarod Trail song. Yeah.